My name is Sean Thomas. I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. why why do you want to be more today than you were yesterday you already know that you have to trust the process and just be persistent you already know that next level results require next level effort period but why is today different than any other day what's your why how are you gonna get to the next level see most of you want to make it to the promised land of success but aren't willing to make the sacrifices let me be clear. Nobody said it was gonna be easy. No handouts, no excuses. It's just you versus you. It's go time. Find your wife for the 5 a.m. wake up call. Find your wife for the extra mile you have to do after the workout. Find your wife to face that fear. Take that test. Make that move. Come on, y'all. Your whole life has been a warm up for this moment right here, today. Are you finally ready to play? You gotta decide to stay always on the move. Less talk, more action. Just be better. Just be more. Be more today. What's going on, folks? Your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building with the final episode of the Be More Today show for season three. We're back, we're back, we're back. And folks, it's been a journey. This whole year, 2022 has been awesome. We've gone out there, we've all hit our goals, continue to move. And the Be More Today platform has been that thing that has pushed us from ordinary to extraordinary. So I gotta say thank you for your love and your support. Again, we're heard in 63 countries, uh, over 30,000 downloads. It's all thanks to your love and support that you continue to be a part of the Be More Today movement. So I thank you. As always, Be More Today is a movement. My book's on Amazon, bemoretoday.com, for our more merch. Our store is open for your everything, right? Your hats, your gaiters, your sweatshirts, and of course, motivation to stay always on the move. And again, we're also on, on YouTube as well. My quote for today is simple as always. Start by doing what's necessary. Then do what's possible. And suddenly you're doing the impossible. Our final quote for this season, folks, this has been a year where 
I said I wanted to do a lot of things. I set a lot of goals for my life, a lot of physical goals, uh, professional goals, and I hit a lot of them. And the hard thing, I think, is always just trying to say what you want to do and then actually doing that thing. But the impossibility factor is something that we all talk about. But when you start doing things and then you see you actually get those things done and you go to the next level and the next level, you see that what was impossible is now possible. Me running my sub four marathon this year in Chicago, I thought that was going to be impossible coming out of COVID and whatever else, injuries, blah, blah, blah. But that was now possible. Now I'm thinking, yo, maybe 345, maybe 340, you know, see what's going on because you get hype about these things. So I just want to encourage you also to go out there and don't be timid about the goals you want to hit. Don't be afraid to go out there and do what is impossible because what is possible one day for you is going to be done. And then the impossibilities will be endless. So my guest on the show for today is the embodiment of that. He has hit all the landmarks. He has done what was necessary, what was possible, and then what was impossible for many to even believe, the records he's broken, the things he's done in terms of his professional life, his sports life, his personal life. He is none other than Tiki Barber. Now, folks, we know we're Giants fans on this show. We're also Knicks fans and and Yankee (laughs) fans, but I'm super excited about the guest for today because Tiki Barber is best known for his time on the field. Former New York Giants football player Tiki Barber serves as a co-host for WFAN's Tiki and Tierney, alongside Emmy-winning broadcaster Brandon Tierney. Tiki and Tierney airs weekdays, right, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on 101.9 FM and 66 a.m. After nine years on national radio, ex-Giants running back Tiki Barber and the NYC-born Brandon Tierney have come home to WFAN to bring Tiki and Tierney exclusively to the Big Apple audience. And as you know, Tiki Barber from the Big Blue is one of three NFL players in football history with at least 10,000 yards rushing and 5,000 yards receiving in a career. He holds almost every New York Giants rushing record, total yards, rushing yards, rushing attempts, and his second in rushing touchdowns. Barber has been active in media and journalism with a variety of appearances. His broadcasting career includes WFAN, uh, WCBS TV, Sirius Satellite Radio, the Yes Network, and Fox News Channel. Upon retiring, Barbara signed a contract to work as a correspondent for NBC News and Sports, primarily for Today and Football Night in America, but also covering the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing for MSNBC. Barbara's also an entrepreneur, co-founding many companies, and we'll talk about all those on this show today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Blue himself, Mr. Lightning himself, number 21, Tiki Barber. Tiki Barber, what's going on? All's good, Sean. How are you? Thank you for that intro. Man, I'm hyped. You have no idea. All my friends wanted to be on the Zoom call today. They said, can we be on the call? I said, no, you cannot. (laughs) You got to (laughs) wait. You got to wait. This is our time together. So I appreciate you making the time. I know you had a long day. We're in the month of November now. And, you know, I, we, I... I'm able to connect with you because of John Gallucci, who I'm is the CEO of our company, Jag One Physical Therapy. And I'm just curious how you guys linked up because because you guys linked, now you and I can link. And I really appreciate that. So how did you and John meet in the first place? Yeah, interestingly, I know John from years ago. We met briefly during my playing career because of his connection with sports in the tri-state area, particularly here in New Jersey, uh, and his work with the Giants. And I kind of lost contact and really had lost contact until I started working at WFAN. And 
as you as you know, and in, in radio, it's a lot of advertisements and a lot of uh, connections that need to be authentic, right? And and Jag One Physical Therapy is something I completely relate to because of my days as a professional athlete. But now my days as a as a non-professional athlete, I run marathons just like you do. And as a 10-year vet and 47-year-old at this point that's gotten beat up, trying to run marathons isn't always the easiest thing. <laughs> so when we got approached and about you know partnering with Jag One as a sponsor for, for our show, I thought it was it made perfect sense. And then I met John and uh, and we re- reconnected and developed that relationship. Uh, interestingly, I needed his services or Jag One services because my oldest son, who's now a second year sophomore at Princeton, hurt his Achilles in the uh, off season. So he came and he stayed with us here in New Jersey. He lives in Connecticut with his, with his mom, and, but he stayed with us. And I called up John. I was like, John, I need someone to take care of this. And he's you. like, send him my way. Uh, and, it, and it helped him. Um, he, he's, he came into the season healthy uh, and he's doing really well. So that's awesome. Uh, Jag One paid it forward, and I appreciate John and that staff because you guys do such a good job. We appreciate you, and um, I went to Brown, so no offense against your son. We're still friends regardless. Hey, Sean, but, my uh, other son is at Brown. Oh, really? What year is he yes. at Brown? Yes, he's a freshman at Brown. His name there is we Jason go. Farber. There we um, go. And, for and, every and truth. I got to be honest, you saw, he's going to need your services because he's coming off a pretty serious knee injury uh, okay. that just occurred. A month or so ago and um, the rehab is going to be a pain in the butt as okay. you know but uh you can get strong from these things and get back and and hopefully next season at brown that's <laughs> right Bears, that's uh, right. He'll, that's he'll, right he'll be making an impact i got you well, i love it i i uh i ran track at brown for four years i graduated 03 from there so i'm 41 but um i love the school it's a great school indeed and of course you know pt as you already know is is that thing that just brings everybody together and it just gets you back from injury from whether you get hurt on the field or just in life you know just the things you learn from being down and then being back up they just carry you on forever so yeah i gotta tell you sean this is why this conversation makes so much sense for me one because we're similar in our in our older year athletic yeah. journeys you know trying to i don't know <laughs> you tried to break four 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 hours i'm just trying to break four fifteen right <laughs> it's, it's it's a grind but my other brother so i have an identical twin that most people know about uh, Rondé, who played for 16 years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. But I also have a half-brother uh, with my father in his second marriage, whose name is Jonathan. And he was a pretty good football player. He's, he's many years younger than us, but he was uh, a pretty good football player until he tore his ACL uh. his last season at high school. And it was the rehab process that influenced what he's doing now. Now yeah. he's a rehab specialist out in Oklahoma. And so he, he's, he's, he's in the vein, man. Yeah. It, just, it all makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I'd say in the show all the time, if I hadn't gotten hurt in high school, there'd be no be more today's show, there'd be no Sean as a therapist. It really just sparked um, a fire and just being able to see what you can come from yeah. and what you can go through. And you want to see others do the same thing. You know, if they get hurt, you want to make sure that they know what to do or even before that, before they even get hurt. So, you know what? To prevent all those things, do these things. And yeah. uh, it just saves lives. It just saves lives. So, much appreciated. Listen, I, I, I know you run marathons. I, I ran into you, and this is a funny story. I ran into you at the end of 2017. Uh, that was actually my first marathon, but not your first. I know you had done no. many before that year. Yeah, and, it, was um, my, it was my second. That was my second New York, but okay, I had exactly. done probably four or five before that. Okay. So. so that was my first experience. I had worked a medical tent there. I had watched for many years. So I said, let me just run this thing. 
And it was brutal. <laughs> you know, New York City is brutal. It's the whole thing oh, is sorry. crazy. And uh, I remember walking up to you and I was like, yo, that's Tiki Barber. I don't want to take his picture. He's going to hate me if I walk up to him. But I was like, you know what? Shoot your shots. So I walked up to you. You probably remember this at all. We took a picture together and you were so nice. I really appreciated it. And um, I posted on Instagram and whatever else. And that was my first marathon experience, running in New York City, being a New Yorker, doing the race, running into you at the end of the race. I was like, yo, <laughs> this is amazing. And I've never stopped since. I've done like six of these things now. And mm -hmm. it's just been fun to do it. And, you know, I always ask people who do these 1% activities, right? Because the marathon is really just like the 1% of people who have actually done this crazy thing, you know, why they do it and, and, and what makes them do it. And, you know, I look at you and just all the work that you've done you've been talented, right? In, mm -hmm. in high school, you broke the long jump record on your first try, which is crazy <laughs> to me. As a track and field guy, I hate you because I'm like, yo, <laughs> we worked so hard to get to these records. And here's this guy who just comes up and just breaks his record, talent and skill and whatever else. I mean, you're, you've been amazing since day one. I'm curious, Tiki, when it comes to what you did on the field and what you do now, I mean, you were really one of the first versatile running backs. Mm -hmm. um, you just did so many things for the game. When did you decide that you wanted to be the best at what you were doing? And and what was that mindset shift to you when you said, you know what, I'm good, but I know I can be better than everyone else? Yeah, like, it's, what, it's, what, it's, what was it? It's an interesting question because I, I, I don't ever think I thought I was good. I always thought I had work to do. And m most of that is a result of my relationship with my twin. So even when in I'd have success. Rondé would maybe be a little bit better or, you know, I, he, I'd get second, he'd get first. And so I always felt like I was grinding, trying to catch him. And it propelled us competitively, even though not directly, because we weren't competing against each other competitively forward through middle school and high school. And even in college, you know, he, he didn't, he redshirted his first year. I played, but I didn't really do much. His redshirt freshman year, which was his first year really playing, he was the ACC Rookie of the Year, and he led the nation in interceptions. And it was like, dude, I mean, seriously? <laughs> so I'm like, I was always trying to compete with him and, and try yeah. to find success, and then and ultimately it came. Um, but I think I've always been a naturally curious person, so I I I, I want to know why things work, and I want to know why. For instance, growing up, I was a big Bo Jackson and a, and a, um, uh, a Walter Payton fan and, you know, Marcus, Marcus Allen, all these guys, like all these running backs. Like, why were they so good? And so I would I, I would like study them and just see what see how they did stuff. Yeah. And it, it helped me because I was curious. Right. Some people come into whatever they're doing, say it's in this case, it's football. They're like, yeah, I know this. I figured it out. I don't got to listen to coaching. I don't need to I don't need to absorb anything else. Uh, I, I have this instinctually, but the best in any craft, whether it says a scientist or a, or an athlete, you have to fine tune the details. It's the minutia that mm -hmm. makes you really good. And I think once I committed to being that person and it happened in high school, um, that's when I was start was able to have a lot of success. And, you know, that wasn't just as an athlete, it was in the classroom. I remember my mom telling me, like, you guys, you guys got kind of got to get scholarships to go to college because I can't pay for it. And so she said, you better make straight A's. Well, I yeah. made straight A's. I was one of our 11 valedictorians uh, when I graduated from high school. And it was all because, yeah, I could get to school athletically. But if I didn't, I needed to have another path. And yes. so I think the details uh, and understanding that they matter is what have always made me um, find success. Right. Yeah. Even though there's some failures along the way, it's when you when you hone into those details 
it really allows you to excel when everything else is average. Yeah. Do you think that that was what sports taught you or was that just life and academics or kind of too? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, obviously it was sports, but it was it was really my mother. It was my mom harping on all these little things and, and it's simple things, just like responsibility and respect and you know, cleaning up your room and taking a, you know account for the things that that are, are on you and your fault and things of that nature. But it was sports because sports is immediate. Like the lessons you learn in sports, they happen like like that. Yeah. It's it's success and failure in a moment. And then it's extended success over, say, a quarter and then over a game. And when you when you fall short, the criticisms will come. But it's it's all how you absorb that criticism. If you if you get combative and push back, then you're not really learning anything. But right. if you if you if you use this mantra that I used to talk about when I got to the NFL, um, our critics are our friends because they show us our faults. Then you're able to not look at criticism as as an attack. It's more of a, it's more constructive that way. And and then once you fix that criticism or fix the flaw that caused the criticism, then then what are you going to talk about me now? Like I'm good, right? right? Yeah. So it's just it's 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 finding those little the flaws and attacking the flaw, not attacking the criticism that's coming because of the flaw. Yeah, no, I hear that. You know, it's funny because I I I guess I said I ran track and brown. I actually I was a jumper, so I did like long jump, triple jump. Yeah. Um, not a long jump as you, but you know, I, <laughs> I triple jump about 49, 50 feet. And um at the time I used to hate I love training, but I hated the days where we would have to just sit there and go through all the things we weren't good at. Mm-hmm. Right. The the little like cleaning up of well, get your height your head a, a little higher here, your knee a little long, longer there, or yeah. do a little more hitch on that step. I yeah. hated those days because you're yeah, the all your flaws. Yeah, yeah I love the triple the worst. jump, by the way. But I hate I hated the details, right? But you had to do the details right. Right, right. So how do I get that second leap yeah. long enough? but short enough so I can still get spring on the last one. I know exactly, exactly. what you're it's talking about. It's the craziest event. So you know what's going on. But yeah, Absolutely. there's so many details in that, that if you mess up one thing, then the jump is done. Yes. So when you have your perfect jump, you know, everything has to just really be on. And you're looking at every single place where your hip is, where your foot is, where your arm mm-hmm. is, where your leg is. And that's what I took from athletics, that you said the details really make a difference. And if you can do all those things well, and over and over and over again, then you have success. And if you don't, yeah, yeah. then you won't. You'll be pretty yeah. good, but you'll never be like the best. You won't break the records. You won't win the championship. So that's right. Yeah. That's a great analogy that you're talking about. And it's, it holds true. It no, holds it true. does. It's funny. You talk about like the long and triple jump. I, it took me the longest time to figure out how to actually long jump. Because you like when you watch it, it's just kind of like, oh, he's running and he's jumping. Right. He's running as fast as he can. He gets to the board and he takes a stride and he jumps. Right. But in actuality, that last stride has to be a half stride, right? right. It, it has to be like a, a gather stride, right? But it's hard to, to do it and and keep your speed, and not put on the brakes. And so, yeah. like once I figured out how to do that, it was it was it was it revolutionized my ability to be a yeah. long jumper. Well, you and I would have loved to keep doing it in college, but I got to UVA and I was skinny, man. I, we did these testings uh, for you know the uh, the football program. And I ran a four two eight forty uh, as a fr- as a first year, but I was one hundred and seventy five pounds. Oh. And like the next off season, my running back coach was like, "I mean, you're fast and you're a great athlete, but you were going to get killed yeah. if you right. weigh one hundred and seventy eight pounds." Right. And so I ended up gaining like 15, 20 pounds, and I couldn't jump anymore. 
Yeah. So I just I stayed with the track team just to train. Okay. But I just I was just too big to be yeah. effective as a jumper. Yeah, you were done. You were done. Well, you picked the right sport, clearly. And then you went <laughs> <It> worked out. <laughs> so many great things. I mean, literally, we talk about Giants highlights as I was looking at so many things this week. It's it's you. You're everywhere. And I remember watching you play. Um yeah. I remember you just being this this superstar stud. And you know, we talked about the Giants and how well you guys did what we did right to be in the, mm-hmm. the patriots in 08 and you know the 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 super bowl that happened after you left right and yeah. I, i've i watched a thousand things on your response <laughs> to what people talk about right you had your best years and you walk away from the game giants won the next year after that all this stuff and how you felt about it and yeah. i read something or somewhere that you were actually looking at it in retrospect saying that if you had stayed they might not have won Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because a lot of people say, yeah. oh, if he had stayed, he would have been part of the team and they would have won. It would have been great. He would have finally had his ring. He would have finally got all these accolades or whatever else. And you work so hard. We talk about you know talent and greatness and all these things. But now I guess I want to ask you in hindsight, looking back at that thing, does that statement still hold true for you that you think well, you walking okay. away at that time for health reasons or whatever else, just you know saving yeah. your body, was it still the best thing for you? And you think the Giants? It absolutely out. was. I was in a different mindset in my in my professional life, uh, and it's a completely different story. And it's a long story about all the reasons that I walked away. But it included uh, working at Fox News, being invited to Israel by Shimon Peres, who was at the premiere at the time, meeting Condoleezza Rice, and and seeing the world in a much greater prism. This is pre-social media, by the way, right? Right. Than just being an NFL football player. And there were so many other things that I wanted to explore and take part in professionally that I, 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 and I was tired of getting beat up. I mean, back when I was playing, it wasn't by committee in the running back room. It was, you know, give you 340 carries. You're going to catch the ball 60 or 70 times. It's just a lot of hits for a guy who's, you know, just a little bit over 200 pounds, but referring to the Super Bowl, So our 07 season or our 06 season, which was my last year compared to the 07 season is really interesting. Because if you go look at the statistics, now we know that stats lie. It's, it's lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? They go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But if you go look at the, t- the statistics of the 06 team and the 07 team, the running back numbers, like what you would associate with a running back, they're almost identical. So they lose in me and 1,700 a year rusher um, and you know 50 or 60 catches a year. They lose that, and then they replace it with three guys. Brandon mm-hmm. Jacobs, Derek Ward, and Ahmad Bradshaw. And the, the running result is almost exactly the same. Hmm. The difference that season, other than the, de- and the defense staying healthy, was that Eli matured. Eli Manning matured to a level that made him a star in critical moments. Yeah. And if I was still the guy dominating the carries, all right, we got to get Tiki 20, 25 touches. Um, I'm not, I don't know if Eli becomes that guy. Maybe he does because he's Eli Manning, but I don't know. But right. I do know that in twenty in two thousand and seven, there was a, a maturation that happened, and he became the leader of that team. And why did they win? Because in the postseason, Eli Manning was flawless. Right, he didn't make any mistakes. He rose to the he rose to the challenge of of being on the road for three consecutive rounds, including obviously the Super Bowl. Right, and and he and he won it in spectacular fashion. And if I, I, I don't know if that would have happened if I was still there. So yeah. They, yeah. The, the by committee replacement was just as effective as me as the individual. But more importantly, 
Eli was able to become the man. And he was on that path regardless if I was there or not. But yeah. you really saw it happen in 2007. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. And I think the, the take home I have for that is that everyone needs a chance to grow, whether the mm -hmm. environment's going to be because someone leaves or someone comes in. But those moments might not happen if things just stay the same. And like That's you right. said, if you had stayed there, it might not have ever been that that yeah. maturity or that growth so quickly. It, because yeah, and the, up, the other thing is, the other thing is, I don't know if I would have been that good because I wasn't committed to it anymore. Mm. And so in order for me to have the seasons that I had from oh, really 2000 to 06, but really uh, under Coughlin, uh, 04, 05 and 06, I, I was grinded. I mean, I was I had I had to work out harder than most people would could realize just to be strong and to take that that type of um, that that wear and tear over a 16 game season. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> right? I, just, I, I was I wasn't committed to the three months of pounding on my body and the the six or seven months of the regular season just to get back you know, to a postseason opportunity. So I walked away and got into other things and you know, started at the Today Show and uh, wrote some books and did and, you know did a lot of different things and I'm I and so I it's weird because people think oh you regret it you missed it I'm like yeah but you gotta earn those things you know and I wasn't willing to earn it at that point in my career and I so I walked away yeah you know I, I the thing I like about you Tiki is that and I think a lot of athletes who have the bigger picture mindset you set things up for yourself already you know when mm -hmm. you were playing so you didn't just have to say okay football's done now what you already put things in line so that when you walk away from the game, you had things that were already in place for you to move forward and successfully move forward. I mean, you've done so many things in terms of being an author, right? On your yeah. books, right? Which is not an easy thing to do as a fellow author. I, I, yeah. I know it's hard. By finding yeah, yours, actually... yours is a real book though. Mine were kids books. <laughs> <laughs> You're still an author book. I mean, you wrote eight of them. So it's a lot yeah. of books, right? So yeah. You know, those those things do count. And, you know, setting yourself up with the the broadcasting stuff, all those things are things that I think a lot of not just players, people in general don't think about in the long term. You know, you yeah. think about what you're doing in, in the spotlight and it's great. But when those things are over, you know, what's next? And, you know, I look at people like LeBron and whoever else doing things now in their career. They're doing things like while they're playing now. That's they're right. Setting themselves up now so that when it's all said and done. They're walking easily into whatever's next, the next chapter, the next phase. And, you know, I'm curious for you, I'm looking at all the NFL guys out there now, and there are a number who are great and are doing amazing things. But I'm curious about, we always hear stories about crash and burns, right? People go out there and they, they do all these things for a while. And then after that, you never hear from them or they're financially yeah. broke or these things happen. You've been out of the NFL, you, you've done your thing. And the financial advice that I'm curious about that you would either given from someone yeah. or you learn in the process, what would you want to share if you were looking at or talking to today's players or just people in general about life after that thing, after football, yeah. after basketball, the, whatever? What's the, 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 sim the simplest um, answer that I think most people can understand is you have to have a separation of church and state. That is your agent and your financial advisor. They can't be one and the same. They can't work for the same company. Um, and so for me, uh, the financial advice I got happened from the first person I hired and my brother as well out of, out of college. His name is Steve Kravitz. He's still my financial advisor 25 years later. And the reason we wanted that independent is because if a financial, if, if a financial advisor screws up and he's beholden to the agent, he's going to tell the agent first. And then the agent who doesn't want to get fired may or may not tell you. 
right? So you you have to have separate advisors. So that's number one. I think number two, and the money has so has grown so much over the last 16 years. I've been retired for 16 years now, 16 seasons. Right. Um, it that it's almost it's I won't say it's impossible because you could be stupid and buy Ferraris and dumb things and houses that you don't need and waste money on other things. But it's almost impossible to fall below the floor, right? That becoming a professional athlete creates. Mm. So as soon as you become a professional athlete, you hit a there's there's a there's a new floor for you, right? When you were in college or or before that, like you could have fallen back and gone home and done whatever if you didn't make it, and the floor is is deep, um, especially for some of these guys who don't take their education seriously. Right. But as soon as you become a professional athlete, especially if you're a good in college and you get drafted high, there's a floor, and that becomes your new jumping off plat, uh, platform, your plateau, and and what you decide to do from there is all on you, but you have no idea how to build the next plateau. So you have to go get the advice. You, you, you can't rely on your uncle. You can't rely on your coach. You, you, I mean, maybe if your mother has an MBA, you can, you can do that. But it's really about seeking advice. And I'm not saying this, the guy that's going to steal all your money, but there are tons of qualified professionals from, you know, the JP Morgans of the world to the, uh, I don't know, the personal financial advisors that you might find you know, um, you know, through, through referrals, right? So it's finding that advice is so is paramount. Uh, the NFLPA even helps. I'm sure MLB does the same thing in NBA, et cetera. Uh, and, and building multiple levels of revenue is, is what I was always focused on. That's why I was always doing so much, mm. right? That's why I was dabbling in, 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 in radio and television when I was playing. It's why I did a little acting here and there. It's why I st- you know, started a couple of companies. You just dabble in it. You don't have to fully dive into it, but you get to know it so that when your time playing is over, there's this um, parallel path that you've kind of been walking on. And it, the step down isn't far. It's, it's you kind of step right over and you just you keep walking um, when the one path ends. That is your professional career. So yeah. that that's the advice I would give. It's it sounds you know it, it's not complicated, but you do have to be focused on it. Otherwise, it catches up to you really quickly. Right. Yeah. And I think the the concept we talk about about this floor it is a new floor, and I think a lot of people who aren't privy to that have no concept of that. So you know, yeah, people that I know are like, oh, what are you talking about these guys? How they do all this stuff? It's kind of crazy. But it's a whole new mindset. It's a whole new thing. Like it's a whole new floor that we're not even perceiving. So <laughs> yeah. I can see how people can get carried away. But I do think like you're saying, getting involved in other things is is the way to do it. And you've done that in, in a variety of ways. And I think of all the players now who um, are not just retiring, but are getting hurt and injured and having to stop playing football as a result. Yes. You know, what what they go through. And and the segue for me for that is now talking about the NFL and what's been going on with so many things in terms of yeah. injuries. I mean, we, the NFL for the longest time has always just had little asterisks around it. You know, it's, it's TBI um, protocols and concussion protocols. And this year has been interesting because so many things with Tua and whoever else have been just on the main stage, right? Yes. I mean, everybody yes. was just watching all these things happen as they unfolded. And with social media now, I mean, it's like wildfire. So what may have just been something like you see on TV is now on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm just curious now, as you've been in this thing and you've seen from the front and from the back and all the angles, how the NFL has handled certain things. 
what are your thoughts on, you know, what we're doing for these players in terms of protocols, in terms of doctors, in terms of make sure that they're safe to go on there and play? Because again, I look at it from a PT perspective, clearly, but as a player perspective, I'm sure it's similar, but also kind of yeah. different. So what are your thoughts? So I'm of two minds and it's complicated because player safety, particularly with head trauma, is so important because we know what the long-term effects uh, are. Uh, we know what CT is and this is chronic traumatic encephalopathy that is so detrimental, the tau and the dark spots that lead to, you know, either processing issues or mood changes, or they, they affect parts of your brain that aren't fully understood um, and, and can create downstream issues. But at the same time, there is a risk associated with playing football and we all know it. And I always tell people, you got to be just a little bit crazy to play football and to willingly want to do it. Uh, not, not just in high school, but in college and, you know, like you gotta be a little bit crazy. Now I know it's a financial, the financial incentive is, is big. And if you make it, I mean, you're, you're, you're quite literally changing your life and your family's life. Um, and so I know that the head trauma issue is something that the league has to continually look at and they have to continually evolve it. The challenge is finding the right way to test and, um, and, and go through the process because, what happened with Tua was egregiously bad, but not unexpected because the mindset, as much as it's changed, it hasn't. The last thing an athlete wants to do is sit on the sideline and watch someone else do their job. Yeah. And so if you give them the option, they are going to opt in regardless of what the consequences are. And even if they are fully aware and cognizant of the dangers of, of returning to a game while you've had some sort of um, a mild, even if it's mild, brain trauma. And so the reality is you feel all right. And even if you do feel a little bit off, you're kind of used to feeling a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the process of how they evaluate concussions needs to change. And that's why the NFL at the beginning of October really changed the protocol. And if there is any gross motor instability, which could be caused by anything. You could have a hurt ankle and you could stumble. Right. Um, if there is any of that seizure type behavior um, or uh, you're unconscious, then they are pulling you from the game and you are out and you're not playing again until you pass a concussion protocol, which sometimes takes up to two weeks. Right. And, you know, that's the way it has to be. But as a fan now watching a game as the back in my day mindset, it's frustrating to see mm. the stars not be available for things that um, may or may not be really detrimental. So it's hard. Like I'm of, I'm of two minds as I look at where the league is going. The only reason I, I, I like these new rules and protocols is because the trickle down effect. The last thing I ever, I've ever want to see is a high school kid trying to be a tough guy. Right. right? It, Cause it doesn't matter. Right it, it, at that stage, it's about your brain developing, which still is not fully developed, as you know, right. and as most people can realize. And so, being a tough guy in high school is 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 not smart because um, that will change and affect your life forever. You know, not just for the short term, uh, but forever. Yeah, yeah. You watch the show All American on Netflix? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good show, right? So yeah, it is. <laughs> and one of the episodes is one of the uh, the son, right? Um, mm -hmm. He has a concussion in the show, That's and all you see is him just really battling, not wanting to show any sign of weakness, 
mm-hmm. really battling to do whatever it takes, taking medication, uh, anti-nausea medication, just to go out there and play and not to yeah. show any weakness or fear or anything yeah. to his father, to his teammates, to his friends. And he gets hurt and yeah. he can't play for a, a certain period of time. But yeah. yeah, that concept is a real thing. And I think a lot of high school slash college players, I'm, I'm saying this in terms of me, I mean, no one gets concussions in track and field. But, yeah. you know, when it comes to that that competitive nature, it's a real thing to not be able to go out there and do what you love to do. Uh, especially when, you know, people are watching you, especially now we're talking about money being on the table, spots yeah. being taken, those kind of things. So I can understand the duality of, of the health versus how I feel thing. Yes. Looking at the numbers, right? We're talking about, uh, a study I saw in 2012 said there were over 324 NFL players who had CTE yeah. after they had died in, in their system, memory loss, depression, aggression, all these things, suicidal thoughts. It's a serious thing. And I agree with you that the NFL is doing what it has to do uh, to make sure these people, people stay safe. But I also agree with you in the sense that the next generation, right, you want to make sure that yeah. they're going to be safe and yeah. that they're not going to go out there and just say, well, you know what? Ah. Uh, yeah, I can get forget it. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure you can well, see what's going on first. I, I got to tell you, the, the, I, there is the there is one challenge, and this is empirical that we won't have an answer for for a while. Is is it inevitable? Mm. That is, if you play football, is it inevitable that you're going to have some instances of tau in your brain, the CTE, these, regardless of the the effect, right, right? right? Is it is it inevitable? And because to your point. I think all of the former NFL players, I mean, to a man, all of them who have donated their brains to science posthumously have had some sort of CTE, Hmm. uh, traces of it and tau in their brain. And so if that's the case, then how do you address that? Yeah. Now, I I think there's also mitigating factors here. And we've heard some former athletes talk about this. Um, One of them is the just inappropriate number amount of alcohol that athletes consume. Mm. Um, and it's really a way it's a like, they, they want to depress themselves because, and I know this from personal experience, you play a, a game, it's a heightened environment. You are jacked to the ceiling. You can't, you can't, I can't even explain, you know, the intensity of playing in an NFL game. And then 60 minutes of game time is over three and a half hours or so. And now you got to flip that switch. Like you got to turn it off because you can't, you can't go home like that. Right. right? And, and you've had some sort of trauma, whether it's physical trauma to your, you know, musculoskeletal system or to your, to your brain. And the first thing you instinctually want to do, if you, if you consume alcohol is take a drink and uh, studies will show that alcohol disrupts some of these these synapses more than we we know and so you already have a compromised you know three hours of playing football then dumped on top of it is alcohol and sometimes right. alcohol abuse that, that compounds these situations so i mean there's just too much studying that needs to, there's too many studies that need to be going to this and they're not doing enough of it um uh guys want to self-medicate that's yeah. the un- that's the unfortunate thing uh, for a professional athlete, they will self-medicate instead of seeking proper medical attention, mainly because they don't know how to seek proper medical attention. And I never thought about the down. I always thought about like the hype, like getting hype mm-hmm. for things. I mean, I, I didn't compete on that level clearly, right? I did D- D1, Ivy League, you know, whatever yeah. else. So it's very different than, you yeah. know, the main stage. So 
getting hyper events was one thing, but I never really thought about the down, like trying yeah. to calm yourself down after that thing. And I yeah. can definitely it's hard. See, it's yeah, it's hard. Can't imagine. It really is. Can't imagine. I mean, it's not like a marathon where you're just you're so done. You just want to sleep. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like I'm down. Even though you're excited. You got your medal. It's all yeah. about the medal. That's the only thing we care about. Exactly. We're not winning. So it's all about the medal. Exactly. But it's easy to just chill after that because you're like, all right, my body is done. I yeah, we're done. Zero glycogen left in any part of my body. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's an interesting thought. I appreciate you sharing that with me. And, and speaking of marathons, I know that, again, I ran into you in 2017, but I read that you started doing marathons because of C.C. Safathia's foundation, yeah. 2014. Yeah. Talk about that and what what did he do to inspire you to go out there and conquer this NYC challenge? Nothing. He just asked. <laughs> and it was Memorial Day. We were having a party in his backyard. He's like, yeah, I'm putting together a marathon team. I was like, yeah, count me in. I'll do that. All right. That's, that's awesome. He's running for the Pitchin Foundation, which is his, his and his wife, Amber's foundation they build baseball fields and have back to school uh days for backpacks and things of that nature and youth development both out in his home state in california and also in the tri-state area and they've done an amazing job and they built a big marathon team and the first year they did the marathon team they asked me to do it i said yeah i'll do it now i thought i knew how to train for a marathon but i had no idea no idea and i was 205 pounds still with like a lot of muscle on my on my frame and i i figured yeah i'd be all right i just got to get a couple of long runs in i'll be fine if i walk a little bit of it i walk a little bit of it uh i died like absolutely died and i finished in five hours and 14 minutes in my first one but i finished with my wife so it was fine like we, we crossed the line together i waited for her for a couple minutes and we just kind of walked and jogged the way in and then I was, I'm done. Like, I'm never doing that again. We uh -huh. raised, good, we raised, I forget how much money we raised. We raised some money, good money for the charity. But I'm like, I am never doing that again. Mm -hmm. And then like two weeks later, my body starts to feel good. I'm like, I, I just, I'm going to go out for a jog. And I felt really great. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I got to do another one. I, I cannot have that be my only marathon. And so, as you know, you just get hooked. Yeah. They, you you finish and it sucks. Like your yeah. body's like you're, you're cramping, you're you're dehydrated, you're you're starving, yeah. and it's like I'm done. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. And you're like, all right, when's the next one? Yeah, right? it, it takes up. like a day. You're like, when's the next one? <laughs> and so I just started doing a lot of marathons. And then someone asked me, hey, you want to go out to Big Sur? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go to Big Sur. You want to go to do Boston? I'm like, yeah, Boston be fantastic. A buddy of mine who does a P, a, a, a PR work for. Uh, Israel's um, uh, in, uh, Ministry of Tourism says, hey, you want to go run the Jerusalem Marathon? I'm like, yeah, I'll go run the Jerusalem Marathon. So now all of a sudden, I'm finding myself yeah. like destination marathoning. Yep. Right? I've, yep. I've done Paris, and I was like, dude, this is amazing. I was signed up for Tokyo, but then the pandemic happened. Right. And so it, it got to a point where I was just like, I, I want to see places and run marathons there. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, now I got to do the World Six. Right. Right. I, I, right. I've done the three. I've done New York. I've done Chicago. I've done Boston. I need to do Tokyo, London and Berlin. That's so right. I can't quit until I do all those things. That's right. But over the time, over time, like I slowly started to get better. And so I, I essentially took an hour off my first marathon. My my best was PR three years ago in New York. I ran, And that was in New York, which is hilly because of the bridges, mm -hmm. uh, four hours and 18 minutes. Awesome. So. I mean, it just, it just, be, it takes over your life. So yeah. that first one, I was 203 pounds. I weigh 189 pounds now. 
And it's all because I've changed my lifestyle because I've become a runner. But it also has made me feel so much better. Like I was carrying around football weight and I was still eating like a football player. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not fully vegetarian, but I don't eat a ton of meat anymore. I feel yeah. so much healthier. Like I, I, I pay attention to the foods that go into my body. It's, 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 been a, it's been a life changer, like a personal life changing experience. All because CC and Amber during a Memorial Day barbecue asked right. me to run the marathon. And yeah. I said, yeah. And I refused to suck at it. So I just kept <laughs> trying. Crazy. <That's> crazy. <laughs> what you're saying, you took the words out of my mouth. You do the race. You feel so crazy. You're like, why is this happening? Mile 24. You're like, oh, this uh-huh. is the worst. You cross the line. You get the medal. You take pictures. It's like, oh, now I'm going to rest. And then you're like, yo, lottery for Tokyo. Lottery for Berlin. <laughs> lottery for Chicago. Let's do it again. I'm with That's you. Right. I've done the two. I'm trying to we, we apply for the uh, marathons for London and for um, uh, Berlin. Berlin, right? So we're looking forward to that. And yeah, it's definitely a thing. The Abbott Six is now that thing. You, you just you got to do it. And you yeah, want to yeah. see places and you want to see it on foot and you want to see the people and you want to get the experience. And it is a light. And it's the thing you train for, right? It keeps you grounded. So during the year, you have something to look forward to. I'm, I mean, unlike when you play NFL, every, you had a game every single week, right? So yeah. you're playing the, whoever else during this week and you look forward to that game. But this thing... 18 weeks away and you're like okay well let's just keep training for this thing it's gonna happen it's in like five yeah. months from now and then it happens you're like, okay cool where are we going next i'm i'm with you it's a crazy insane thing but i'm right with you yeah people people who haven't done it don't don't get it and they're like dude you're, you're 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 what are you talking about there's no way i would ever do that i'm like just do one that's it right and as you as you mentioned sean become that one percent right it's one percent that's it. Think about it. you're in a, you're in a fraternity, and the That's beauty it. of running, as opposed to other team sports, like, and again, we're not competing to win. We're competing right. just to run. Exactly. And to, we're competing against ourselves and our own PRs and our uh, I don't know other individual reasons why you why you want to go out there and run. But it really is a collective effort, right? You're not like you're not. It's not me against you or me against whoever's next to me. It's right. like, come on, let's go. Like you'll pick somebody up. Yeah. Just by being supportive. And yeah. I, I, I love the community, the running community. I never thought I would be in it, but I, I absolutely love it. It's amazing. So I coach a team called Spartan Sunday Running Club. It's, in, it's based in Brooklyn. Me and my boy, Ishmael mm-hmm. Torres, run it. And it's all ages, literally like yeah. uh, 25 to 70. And <laughs> we go everywhere. We've been to Puerto Rico. We've been to all these different races. And everyone, like you said, is community. We come together. We train, we do these things, and it's 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 a beautiful thing, right? To see people from all nationalities, races, whatever else, come together and do one thing collectively to push each other to get to the end, and to cheer each other during the process. Yeah, it almost feels like, especially for New York City, right? You do this race, and like the city just feels so electric. It's just like fun, fun, fun time, and then you know it's over, and yeah. we go back to our regular work jobs. But it's just beautiful to see people coming together and using sports to be that caveat for it. So agree. Agreed. I love it. I love it. Listen, Tiki, you've done so many things in terms of marathons and your shows. And talk to us about the Tiki and Tierney radio show. It's about, you know, what you guys talk about and and some of the information yeah. about it. Yeah. So we started on the national show for CBS Sports Radio back in 2013 because they needed a national network to put on their own and affiliated stations across the country. So they previously they were taking, you know, other affiliate um, 
you know, shows, Fox, you know, ESPN, whatever. And so they needed a national network. So they came to us. And it's funny, at the time they said, yeah, you know, WFAN has two stations in New York, 660 AM and 101.9. Eventually you'll be on one of those. So we were like, great, because I played New York. BT is from, from Brooklyn. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we can't wait to get on in New York. Well, it never happened because people wouldn't switch from 660 to 101.9, right? They're just, uh-huh. their history, habit keeps them on 660. Uh, and so WFAN is broadcast on both 660 and 101.9. So for nine years, we were on the national show, new, two New York-centric guys talking national sports. And we loved it, right? Because I love college football, which is big a big thing in, on, on national level. And, you know, obviously we can talk about all the teams in the NFL and baseball, et cetera. And it was great. But when we got the opportunity at the end of last year, so uh, 2021, to think about coming over to WFAN, it was a no-brainer because it's what we had always wanted to be, was be on in New York and talk local sports. Uh, Not because local is better than national, but local is passionate, Mm -hmm. right? The fans who listen and call and engage with us are, are so passionate. And there's there's energy and emotion um, that you don't get on a national scale, right? Because it's you're kind of agnostic. You don't really you don't necessarily care. Uh, and so our show, we talk a lot of baseball, obviously, because it's a baseball town. But with both of the football teams, the Giants and the Jets, uh, having resurgent off seasons and beginning of regular seasons, it's been it's been intense, right? And we get to talk passion, but we also get to break down the details and yeah. and give yeah. our opinions. And yeah, you know, we 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 love it. We have a good conversation with our with our listeners because we're not trying to cut them off. We're not trying to be combative with them. We're just trying to invite them to our water cooler, and yeah. we have we have a good time chatting with everybody. I I, I love it. Yeah, I've watched a couple episodes on YouTube, and you guys have a great time. I love yeah. the camaraderie. I love the openness and. Even, I mean, you've, I've seen people on the show, you've just given them just the mic just to kind of share their thoughts. Yeah, I'm like, right. wow, that's just right. like letting them go. But yeah. it's great. It's great. It just has a, a real water cooler experience yes. to share and to communicate with you, I think for them is like the, the biggest accolade. So yeah, well done with that. Well done Thank with you, that. Man. And, you know, I'm curious now, you know, we talked about so many things with business and, you know, for me, this Be More Safe platform is my business, but it's also my my excellence in sports personified, right? I think yeah. about all the things that I did in sports and how I can bring that to the table for others who might not be major athletes. Maybe they're minor athletes like my mom and, you know, my wife, yeah. but they want to go out there and be great. And um, your company, Thuzio, uh, talks about greatness in sports yeah. inspires excellence in business. Uh, talk to right. us about what this company is and, and what puts you behind what gave you the gusto to go out there and, and found this thing? Yeah, so I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I've and I've tried mo- uh, multiple things over the years. My first endeavor post NFL was an affordable housing deal with Steve oh. Ross of Related Companies, who obviously owns the Miami Dolphins. And the timing was just wrong. '08 was there was a market correction, as we all remember, and tax credit equity, which we were using to finance the uh, rehabs of these um, these 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 um, uh, low income housing units, just dried up. And so he let us out of the deal and, you know, saved us basically. But it, it gave me this entrepreneurial bug to try something different. And a couple of years later, we founded, I founded with Mark Gerson and Jared Augustine, a company called Thusio. And it, it was born out of some of the issues that me as a former athlete were running into. And that was losing connection with the community. 
And that was like going to lunches or booking a pickup basketball game or a speaking engagement, whatever it may, may be. And so we, we launched this, what we called a tech company, but it was really just an internet marketplace to engage with consumers. And that was business consumers. That was, you know, individuals. It was, it was all walks of life. And as we started to grow, we realized that we needed to make some pivots and the pivots were instead of, you know, offering each of these individual athlete engagements, which meant we had to touch every single transaction, which is not scalable. We, we moved to a club format where our business client can come to an event with an icon or legend in the sporting world and eventually moved outside to cooking and entertainment, et cetera, music, um, and engage with them in a setting that was one on, say, 80 to 120. And we started clubs in New York and in Philly and Chicago and Los Angeles and Dallas and Boston, like all the major markets that have a massive sport fandom. And it got really it got really popular and we loved it. And, and then the pandemic happened. And all of a sudden, here is a company that does live events and we can't do live events oh. because nobody can do anything. Right. This is this is why hiring great teams matters. Mm. So we had a really excellent tech team and they helped us push into virtual. And so we went from, you know, all of these events to making zero revenue until we pivoted to doing virtual events and events. And we became one of the market leaders in doing virtual um, meeting and, and entertainment for clients who still needed to entertain their, their clients. Yeah. And, and as a result, we went from doing, let's say, three or four events a month per market to doing three or four a day. Oh. And so while the margin shrunk, right, the margin shrunk, the revenue exploded because we now had so much volume uh, and it made us an attractive uh, acquisition target. And we just recently got acquired by Triller. And um, it, it's been it's been fantastic. And the the combined um uh, umbrella of Trilla has helped us grow and do some more things and bigger events, you know, big market events, stadium type events. And it's been fun, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a great journey. And, and it was one that was really organic to, to me as a former athlete, but grew into something much more passionate. I feel like it's, it's like my other baby. You know yeah. what I, mean? I have yeah. six kids. It's almost like my other kid, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. I did see the acquisition by Triller who was, integral during the pandemic with all of the different music things and whatever else. Yeah. So congrats to you for that. And I got to say, Tiki, I mean, just talking to you, um, I feel like I know you for years, but you <laughs> are the environment of Beat More Today. And I've asked everyone on the show, we've had a hundred plus people on the show talk about Beat More Today, what it means to them. Mr. 21, Mr. <laughs> Lightning, Tiki Barber, when you hear the phrase Beat More Today, what does that phrase mean to you? I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll relate this to something my mom used to always say to me, and I still say this to my kids when they're going to achieve, trying to achieve something, whether that's a test or a uh, or a game. Um, my mom used to always tell me to play proud, and what does that mean? It means that there are so many people who have helped you along the way, who you don't sometimes realize it, but every rung that you climb. It's not an actual ladder, but it's their shoulders that you're standing upon. And they're looking up and they're proud as hell out of you. So 
to me, be more today is to be aware of how you got to where you are uh, and do whatever you're doing. For me, it was playing proud. Now it's, you know, broadcasting proud or <laughs> taking a test proud to my kids. But just be proud and realize that those below you are also proud of where you've gone. Mm. I love it. I love it. Tiki Bar, what's next for you, man? Last question. What's next for you for the rest of this year? Besides Abbott 6, and then you're going to be going for that with me. But, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, it's just, it's constantly reinventing myself and finding that new opportunity wherever it may lie. Um, it's funny. I did a commercial for Cadillac back when I was playing. And um, it was back when the internet was just, you know, becoming a, a big thing. And they wanted to shoot a video of me driving the Cadillac just for social media um, or Facebook, I think was what it was at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, they, they were just talking to me as I was driving and they were talking about, Oh, tell me about, you know, you know, the first time in college you knew that you were going to be good or whatever, whatever the question was. And it was at university of Michigan, my third year prior to that point, I hadn't been a starter, but the kid in front of me, Kevin Brooks hurt his hamstring that week in practice. And I ended up getting the start in Michigan. And it was at Michigan in the big house, ACC team playing the Big Ten, and we were supposed to get destroyed. And we ended up taking them all the way down to the wire. They beat us on the last play of the game, um, interestingly enough, over my brother. Wow. But in that game, <laughs> I had 180 yards and, and a, like a 60-yard touchdown, 70-yard touchdown, and it kind of put me on the map. Now, that wasn't a perfect opportunity, but I was ready for it. And so when they asked me this question while I was driving the Cadillac, I said, you know, sometimes opportunities aren't perfect, but if you're not ready for it, it might not be there again. And instead of all of this shoot that we did, they took this little internet thing that they were trying to, and that became a national commercial, ah. right? Simply because of like me expounding upon opportunities. Yeah. I've always been opportunistic. I, ref I refuse to say no. Um, I'll try anything because you just never know if it's going to come again. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I appreciate you saying yes to this show. And I appreciate <laughs> course, your time today. You've made this episode for our season finale one for the book. So thank you so, so much. My and pleasure, Sean. I look forward to seeing you somewhere. Maybe one of these runs, maybe in New York City. Whatever oh, happens. Most certainly. Blessings, man, and good luck to you. Yes, sir. And folks, don't forget the quote from today. We talked about so many things, right? He talked about so many things in his life, about the trials, the struggles, the successes. Our quote from today, start by doing what's necessary. Then do what's, do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Tiki Barber has done just that. All the impossible things and continues to do so in his own life, both professionally and in other ways. So continue to follow him and support all his endeavors. Continue to follow us, BeWantToday.com, for my book on Amazon, our swag store. And as I always say, folks, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great life and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. We will see you next year. <laughs> Peace.